Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. The reading of the word this morning comes from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. And as mentioned earlier, uh, you have there in front of you a blue pew Bible. And Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35 can be found on page 823. The reading of the Word, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The word of our God lives forever. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, this is a difficult passage. We pray that by Your Spirit this morning, You would work in our hearts, that You would apply this to us, that we would be presented with the Gospel once again, that we might understand how we could go about doing what You call us to do in this parable. We thank You, Lord, for Your Word, and we pray that You'd bless it to that end now. In Christ's name, Amen. Well, one of the uh, the great things that RUF does is the annual summer conference in Florida. It's actually held on the beach. You have uh, you have the whole facility right there. Uh, it's called Laguna Beach, 
And uh, my sophomore year, TCU took a bigger group than we had in the past. There were a whole lot of people that went that, that we really didn't know that well, people that weren't uh, a part of RUF before. So it was a great, great group that we had. One night, a group of us guys had been out on the beach. We had some extra time in the evenings. The moon was out. It was obviously a lot cooler. And the crabs would come up at night, too. So you'd have people out with flashlights and stuff, and you could see them on the beach. Well, we did this for a while. We come back into our bunks later that night. And when we get back, there's this one quiet freshman who keeps wanting us to turn the lights out. Like, he keeps rushing us to turn the lights out. And I'm thinking, okay, I guess he's just tired. I mean, it was kind of unusual for him to be as assertive as he was because he was new and he's really quiet. So I was the last person up, so I go turn the lights out, and I kind of feel my way back to my bunk. And as I crawl into my sleeping bag, I think that I feel something touch my foot as I'm going down in. I didn't think anything of it, so I thought, okay. Um, As I lay down, though, I feel something scurry up my leg. Now, immediately when I feel that, I jump up, Of course, I'm on the bottom bunk, so I hit my head on the bunk above. I get out of the sleeping bag as soon as possible and start screaming that there's something in my sleeping bag. And Tim is in the bunk above me. He hops down. We try and get the lights on to see what this is and what's going on. And then, of course, as we turn the lights on, we see in the middle of the floor this small crab scurry across the floor into the corner and under a pile of clothes. Now... Needless to say, I'm not very happy at this point. I'm thinking, there's no way that a crab crawls from the beach, across the street, up the stairs, into our bunk, and into my sleeping bag. No way that happens. So, the only other possible explanation is that somebody put the sleeping bag, or put the crab in my sleeping bag. So immediately I start thinking, who did this? Who could have done this? My head hurts. People are laughing at me. And I know it's kind of funny, but I'm not about to show it at that point. And everybody's telling me, Brian, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't see who did either. Everybody except for the quiet freshman Shane, who's saying nothing at all. Now, here's this new guy, really quiet, reserved, didn't know people on the trip, And he just put a a crab in my sleeping bag. It freaked me out. I hit my head, and now I look like a fool. I'm presented here with a great opportunity to forgive when there are a lot of other things I'd rather say and do at this point. By the way, when I told this story the first time to a group of middle school students from our own church, we actually were in Colorado at the time, I came back from breakfast that morning to our cabin and found sausage links all over my sleeping bag. (laughs) That was led by Travis Heim. So maybe a little less dangerous, but no less offensive. Now, this is an example, in both cases actually, of an opportunity to forgive something that obviously is not that big of a deal. It seemed like a big deal at the time, but it's not that big of a deal. But we all know, though, that we face circumstances where real forgiveness is required, where you've really been wronged by somebody. There are no doubt people here this morning who've had some sort of fallout with a family member and probably haven't spoken to them for years. 
There could be people here this morning, and statistics would say this, who have been abused in some form or fashion, whether it's by an uncle, maybe even a spouse, a parent. And you're put in a position where you're being asked to forgive someone in a way that seems impossible, impossibly difficult to forgive in that situation. But it may be that your own disagreement with the person is something minor. A small disagreement that's just festered over time because no resolution was ever brought, no forgiveness was ever offered. And so now you're harboring this resentment. You have this spite within your heart towards this person and the relationship isn't the same because of it. And this happens in the church as well. It could literally be amongst us this morning. C.S. Lewis says this about forgiveness. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And this is why forgiveness is so difficult, because there's a cost involved. Somebody's going to suffer. We live in a fallen world, and we're going to face situations like this. This is reality of life after the fall, that we're going to be wronged by somebody. We're going to be forced to offer forgiveness in some way. But the question is, how do we deal with those situations? What do we do when we're faced with that unbelievably difficult circumstance of forgiving somebody when they've really wronged you? How do you respond? How are we called to respond? Well, with this issue, and like most relational issues, we have to go back to the gospel. That's the only place we can go to start talking about how we can actually forgive people in these situations. And this passage will tell us a lot about that. It goes as far as to say that our understanding of the gospel and our practice of forgiveness are so intimately bound up together that you can't have one without the other. That's how strong it is here. Jesus tells us at the conclusion of this parable that if we are unable to forgive others, then we don't believe the gospel at all. This this parable ends in such a difficult way like that. But because God has forgiven us, because God has forgiven us, we are called but also equipped to forgive others as well. That's what this parable is going to teach us. And we're going to take a closer look at the parable itself, and then I want to conclude with just two points of application. So it's going to be helpful if you open back up to the passage if you're not already there. If you take a look back, you see that chapter 18 is all about relationships in the kingdom. This is all of what Jesus is talking about here. We have that familiar passage of discipline in 15 through 20, and then our passage jumps in. But he's here talking about relationships within the church. These are relationships within the community of believers. These are family issues, is what we could say. Now, what we should notice about this, though, is that he just assumes there's going to be conflict in the body of Christ. It's not stated overtly here. But it's assumed that we're going to have conflict. It's an inevitable part of our community life. When we get involved in each other's lives, we're going to have to forgive at some point. And you no doubt know this is true from your own family. We have this new dynamic in our house now with two children rather than just one. Now, both of our boys are very young, but it was really interesting that from the start, just as we brought Dustin home, you could see kind of at the beginning of some conflict happening between the two of them. 
Jack, at only 19 months old, realized he wasn't the center of attention anymore. And so he kind of had a little bit of spite for his younger brother. And he would kind of come up to him and do this nice little pat on the head when, uh, when I was holding him or when Jeanette was holding him. And then he'd kind of just go a little harder, a little harder, and try and hit him on the head. And I always tried to, I wanted to think it wasn't malicious. But because it was so subtle, it was kind of starting with the sweet pat and then he just keeps going. And then just the other day, he had a plastic baseball bat out. And he just is kind of swinging it real cute. And he kind of starts inching closer, inching closer. Son, give me the baseball bat. So we just put that away. That's not going to come out for a while. Families experience conflict. We know that's the case. And the family of God is no different in that specific regard. But Jesus is not content with leaving us in that situation, though. He's not content with this unresolved conflict. He calls for forgiveness here. And the real question that this passage is answering is how the kingdom of God comes to bear in our relationships. That's what he's working at here. Well, look back at verses 21 and 22. Matthew gives us these, uh, these great bookends on both ends of this parable to help us understand what's going on here. So first we have here in verses 21 and 22 a setup of the coming parable. we got Peter asking a question of Jesus, and Jesus gives an answer and then responds with the parable. Take a look at verse 21. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, this is actually a good question of Peter here. And if you remember from the Gospels, Peter is always saying the wrong thing. He doesn't really know what's going on. And when he doesn't know what to do, he says something. So, And it usually ends up being something he shouldn't have said. But right here, though, he's actually starting to understand what Jesus is talking about. He understands that some amount of forgiveness is required. And actually, at this time, Jewish literature required forgiveness up to three times. You were to extend forgiveness to someone for the same sin three times. So for Peter to suggest seven times is actually really generous, especially then by the standards of the day there. And if you just think about that for a minute, kind of skip over the seven times, but if you think about what it's like to be wronged by someone and have to forgive them over and over, especially if it's something, if it's the same sin over and over again, it gets old pretty fast. Surely you've experienced something like that with a roommate, maybe, a family member, somebody that you see often. There's a point where you just want to say, enough, let's stop with the forgiveness thing. I just want you to stop sinning against me in the first place, and we wouldn't have this problem. So to be sinned against seven times and then genuinely forgive that person every time is really generous on Peter's part. But notice how Jesus responds, though. He says in verse 22, I did not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Now, what he's not saying is that we're to keep track of the number of times we forgive someone until we get to 490. Just keep chalking them up each time. That's not what he's saying. His point is to say, though, that we should stop counting altogether. There's no room for keeping track of the number of times we forgive a brother. Our forgiveness should know no limits. That's his point here. And again, let me stop and just say, this is going to be one of the most challenging things of our passage today. 
that Jesus is calling for unlimited forgiveness here. Not in an unwise way. We're to forgive wisely and and deal with sin appropriately, but we're actually to extend genuine forgiveness in a real way, in an unlimited way. And that's going to be one of the most challenging things we hear today. Because if you're anything like me, the temptation is to keep score. We want to remember how many times we've been wronged by this person. Why? Because you can bring it up later in an argument. This becomes some sort of weapon in your arsenal for a later argument. I forgave you for this last week. How do I have to do it again here? This is going to be an ongoing thing. Jesus sees through that type of feigned forgiveness. He won't allow it to pass here. One commentator says this, If one is still counting, however generously, one is not forgiving. So our forgiveness with one another is to be without limit. And this should really characterize us as the body of Christ. It should be a hallmark of how we interact with one another, that we're always willing to extend forgiveness. That's who we are now as the redeemed people of God. So Jesus gives us this, uh, this statement here, this answer to Peter, and then he moves into the parable. Look back at 23 through 25 here. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, and children, and all that he had, payment to be made. Okay, a few things to mention here. We got a picture of this king. Okay, he's about to settle accounts with his servants here. So they all owe him some amount of money here. And the first servant that is brought to him owes him 10,000 talents. Now you probably have this note in your Bible there that a talent was roughly equivalent to about 20 years of labor. 20 years of wages for a day laborer. That's just one talent, okay? So 10,000 talents would be somewhere around 200,000 years of labor, which, of course, is ridiculous. Uh, One commentator says that this is actually more money than was in circulation in the entire country at the time. So Jesus is doing something different here. It's kind of like saying, and he owed him a bazillion dollars, (laughs) where it's just this ridiculous amount that he would owe. So his point is to show that the servant's debt is so high There's no possibility of him paying it back. There's no realistic possibility. Way too much. He he had no hope whatsoever. He obviously could work the rest of his life and never pay this debt off. And as punishment, we read that the king sells this man and his family and all that they had. So at this point, verses 26 and 27, you have the servant in a completely helpless position. No hope whatsoever of getting out of this debt. There's nothing at all that he can do except plead for mercy. And that's what he does here. He falls down on his knees, begging this master to have patience with him. But then the master does something incredible here. He actually has compassion on him. The text says he pities him. So he hears the servant's cry for mercy, and he decides to release him from this debt. He forgives him of this debt. And we can skip over this sometimes as we read through this, but we need to remember that this would come at a great cost to the master. This guy owed him a ridiculous amount of money, 
And what the master is saying is that he's going to absorb that cost. He's going to take it on himself. He's going to take the hit for it. And so we're left thinking here, and this is what Jesus wants us to realize, is how incredible this master's mercy is on his servant. He took this incredible amount of debt and he canceled it. And it looks right here as though everything is going right for this servant, that things couldn't be better. He's just been released from this debt that he had no hope of paying off. But look at verse 28. This is what happens. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So what's the first thing that this newly freed servant goes to do? Rejoice in his freedom, thank the master, talk about how glorious the forgiveness of the master was. No, he goes to find one of his own fellow servants who has borrowed an amount of money from him and try and cash in on the loan. He wants to collect on it. And not only that, he begins choking him and yelling at him to pay this money that he owes. And for how much money? 100 denarii. Now, to put this in perspective, one denarius was worth about one day's wage. So, a hundred is going to be somewhere around three months of work. So, I mean, it's still a substantial debt here, but when we remember the 10,000 talents, it's absolutely nothing compared to that. This servant was just forgiven an amount that was well beyond anything that anybody owed him. That's where we stand at this point. But it gets worse than that. This fellow servant falls down on his knees and he pleads with him. In verse 29, Have mercy on me, have patience with me, and I will pay you. And if you notice, these are the same words that the servant has just used himself in verse 26 when he was being forgiven his own debt. Almost the exact same phrase is used there. So, of course, as we're reading through this, as we're hearing this, we're expecting, well, surely... Surely he's going to forgive in the same way. After all the mercy he's been shown, of course he will. But if we see what happens next there in verse 30, he responds in a negative way. He refuses not only to forgive this debt, but he actually throws him into prison here. And you come to this point in the parable, and it feels all wrong. As you're working through this, you think this guy should have forgiven And Jesus sets us up to recognize how messed up this is. That this guy could be forgiven in this way and then turn around and act really as if he hasn't just been forgiven. It's as if he's forgotten the grace and mercy that he's just shown. We know there's something not right about that. And it's really interesting that as we feel those same feelings as we're reading through it, we're thinking those same same thoughts. These servants in the parable feel the exact same way. They feel that same frustration. They knew there was something wrong about this. They see this fellow servant acting this way, and they say, well, we're going to go tell the master about this because this is ridiculous. And look what the master says to him in verses 32 and 33. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. He takes the man and he throws him into prison. He turns him over to the torturers is what it actually says there. 
And at this point, you've got to be thinking, the disciples are probably cheering this on in some way. Because you kind of go, this guy deserves this torture. This is so messed up what he's done here. He's really getting what's coming to him here. And, and we're kind of cheering him on too. We're thinking this is exactly what he deserves. To not show mercy like that is disgusting. He deserves what's happening to him here. But then, all of a sudden, just as the disciples and us are in full agreement with what's happened here, cheering on the way this master has now treated his servant, Jesus finishes the parable. But Jesus then turns the barrels on them and on us as well. And you get this shocking, shocking end to this parable. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And that is the point of application that Jesus is driving home to Peter and to you and to me. This is sort of the punch in the stomach when you're not looking. You're reading through this parable, you think this is exactly what should happen. And then all of a sudden, we realize we're right in front of the barrel now. We are the ones who could be in this very same situation. Jesus is saying here that the gospel calls us to forgive. And that's our first point of application, is that the gospel calls us to forgive. And really, we could say it stronger than that, that the gospel demands, if you're comfortable with that, the gospel demands us to forgive here. Now, I read this, and I want to say, well, he can't really mean that. When you're reading through, if you do the one-year Bible thing, you're reading through Matthew 18, and you kind of just want to jump into 19 right after, and just skip right over this if you can. He does mean this, though. He says it right here. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What Jesus is saying here is that the person who's forgiven by God must be one who forgives others. It's just a statement of fact, almost, that to belong to Jesus is to belong to one who has forgiven you. It requires that you would in turn be forgiving to be forgiven is to be forgiving. This is point here. There's no other option. There's no wiggle room in this parable at all. This is what he says at the end. And notice what type of forgiveness this is as well. It's forgiveness that comes from your heart. So Jesus has in mind here a genuine forgiveness. And when the Bible speaks about the heart, it has in mind who you are at the core of who you are. This is a full forgiveness of someone. It's not just mouthing the words. You know, a, a child gets in trouble for, for hitting, his, hitting his sister. And the mother says, tell your sister you're sorry. I'm sorry. Of course, he doesn't mean it in that case. He's trying to avoid punishment from mom at that point. But what Jesus wants here from us is genuine forgiveness at the heart level. Not just words, but genuine forgiveness. So he's telling us here, that God's forgiveness of us is intimately connected with our forgiveness of one another. So much so, as we said earlier, you can't have one without the other. That's how closely bound they are. But also, this theme isn't just limited to this parable. It sounds so shocking, we'd think, I don't remember Jesus saying this anywhere else. We actually pray this very same thing in the Lord's Prayer. 
probably become a habit and we don't really think about it. We say, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then right after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So again, very close connection between, between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. So it's not unique to our parable that there's, there's a bit of a common theme here. So the real question is, how are we to understand this? Because in some ways, this feels like it doesn't really comport with the rest of what we know the Bible to teach. This is one of those somewhat awkward passages of what Jesus says. So I want to go about trying to answer that question by giving you two things that Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that our forgiveness of one another earns or merits God's forgiveness of us. This is a misconception that we could somehow earn God's forgiveness in the way that we forgive others. That could be one potential misreading of this passage, but it's not what Jesus is saying. But he is saying, though, that our forgiveness of one another is so bound up with our forgiveness that we receive from God so that if we don't have the former, then we don't have the latter. And what this says to us is that forgiveness here is a very, very, very serious matter to the point where there are eternal ramifications for forgiveness. It's a telling sign as to whether we've actually experienced the gracious forgiveness of the Lord as to whether or not we can forgive others. So one who has been genuinely forgiven is one who will forgive. Again, just a statement of fact. This is what the gospel does. And and this is really a shocking and a sober warning to us. And in some ways, I don't want to try and explain away this hard edge that Jesus left on it. I don't, want to, I don't want to bolster theology all around it to try and make it comfortable for us because he doesn't intend for us to, be, to feel comfortable when he ends a parable in this way. There are real implications for continuing in this way of unforgiveness. If it becomes a pattern, something where we don't forgive and refuse to forgive others, there are real consequences for that. That's what Jesus would say to us here. F.F. Bruce, a New Testament scholar, has written this book called Hard Sayings of Jesus. This is one of them. This is a hard saying of Jesus, and it leaves us squirming, and it's supposed to do that. We're supposed to feel that weight. So our forgiveness of one another doesn't earn our forgiveness of God and any forgiveness from God, but receiving the mercy of God is incompatible with refusing to forgive others. It just won't go. That's the first thing. The second thing that Jesus is not saying is that if you struggle with forgiving others, if it is hard work for you to struggle somebody for some sin in particular, then you won't be forgiven by God. That is not what he's saying here. The Bible understands the difficulty of forgiveness. Very realistic in this way. Forgiving someone might be an ongoing battle for you. This might be a long-term struggle, one of those things that you take to the grave as a struggle for you, where it's an ongoing process. Tim Lane points this out in his little booklet on forgiveness. He says this, that forgiveness is an event and a process. It's an event and a process. It's an event 
and that you have to initially forgive someone. That's usually what we think about when we think about forgiveness. But it's also a process in that every time you're tempted to remember this sin that someone has committed against you and to hold it against them, you have to forgive again. It's an ongoing process and that you constantly have to be forgiving that person when you're tempted not to. And it's worth mentioning again here that forgiveness comes at a cost. And this is why it's difficult. Forgiving someone is not just to brush it off and act as if nothing happened. That's not real forgiveness. That's trying to ignore what's happened. Sin is a big deal. And that's why forgiveness is a big deal. If you think about this parable and this ridiculous debt that the servant owed, we get a little picture of this. This is actually a picture of the forgiveness that we've received from God. So if we think of it in those terms, this ridiculous debt is representative of our, of our sin and debt before God. We realize that the huge cost for God to forgive us was His own Son. So there are real costs involved in this. He couldn't just ignore sin. He couldn't just say, that's all right, forget about it. The best picture of the cost of forgiveness is the cross. It's Jesus crucified for our sins. That's how forgiveness is possible. So don't think for a moment that when Jesus gives us these radical call to forgiveness, that He's downplaying the reality of what we've suffered and what we have to deal with to get to that point. Because He, more than anybody, knows what it means to forgive and the cost of that sort of forgiveness. So it may be here that forgiving someone is going to be an ongoing battle. And that is not to put you in a place where you should fear not being forgiven by God. So that's the second thing here. So how do we forgive? This leads to the second and our final point of application here. It's that the gospel equips us to forgive. The gospel equips us to forgive. The reason that He can call us to forgive in this way is that He's also the one who actually equips us. He enables us to forgive. It won't happen otherwise. It's not as if Jesus just gives us these commands and expects us just to work really hard in and of ourselves to bring this about. That's not what the Gospel says. The Gospel says that you are forgiven for these things. And now, out of gratitude, out of being made new, out of being united to this Jesus, who is the one who really does forgive, now you have the capacity to go forgive others. You're not going at it alone here. You're united to this Jesus. He's begun to make you new within. He's giving you the capacity to forgive in ways that seem impossible right now. And this, this is what the Gospel does. It's ongoing change within us. It's not just a one-time event and that's it. He's working within you by His Spirit. So that in those situations where you have terrible wrongs done against you, terrible sins against you, things that by the world's standards would and maybe even should be unforgivable, you can actually begin to approach forgiving that person. All because of the Gospel, because you are united to this Jesus who can enable you to do that, who gives you all the resources necessary. But the thing we have to struggle with, though, is our ability to forget the mercy we've been shown, just like the servant has, has done in this parable. He's forgiven this huge amount, and then it's almost just as immediate that he turns around 
and forgets it. Now for us, it's probably not going to happen that quickly. But you and I both know that over time, what we've been saved from becomes some sort of distant thing in our past. We forget what our sin cost. And when we do that, we begin treating others as if we have some sort of power, authority, and we can stand in judgment over them. Now, it's not so much that we need to recognize our sin in that situation, but what we do need to recognize is the mercy that had to be shown for that sin. That's what we're forgetting in that scenario. It's the mercy that's been shown to us. And the moment we begin to forget that is the moment that we begin not showing mercy to others. So this is, this is the point of the parable. We should feel uncomfortable about how stark the statement is by Jesus, but we also need to recognize that He is giving us that which we need to be obedient in this regard, to genuinely forgive, to keep in mind the gospel, to keep in mind the Lord Jesus who's died on our behalf, that we would be forgiven, and that He has risen to new life, that we can now forgive as He is forgiven that He's broken that power of sin within us. I'll close here by, by mentioning this. What we can take away from this is that there is no forgiveness apart from Christ. There's no forgiveness of our own sin, and there's no forgiveness of one another apart from Christ. In both of those ways, it's true. So if you're here this morning exploring Christianity... You're unsure as to what Christianity says, what the Bible says. This is one of those things you can take. It's that there is no forgiveness apart from Christ. Again, the, the glorious part of this, the shocking grace that, that is shown in this, in this passage is that He accepts all who come to Him in faith. That He doesn't withhold anybody. He will not withhold this forgiveness from you. He won't withhold it from us who still need to be strengthened, encouraged, made new, that we can actually forgive others. And, and finally here, I would encourage all of us not to allow the message of this parable to stay here. Because of how radical this claim is, this is one of those messages where we can kind of, it's, it's tempting to just leave it here. Because to act on something like this could stir up our lives a little bit more than we'd like. To actually go to someone and settle accounts with them and confess a sin maybe and ask for forgiveness or to extend forgiveness, it could be awkward. It could be very difficult. You have to humble yourself. You have to absorb the cost in some way. But I would encourage us all though, even if there is someone here that you have a disagreement with, maybe I would even say especially if you have someone here with whom you disagree or you need to forgive, I encourage you to do that. This is the way that we're opened up to actually enjoy relationships the way the Lord intended them to. This is the only way that that spite, that bitterness, that, that hardness of heart that develops in our hearts when we've refused to forgive is going to be done away with. It's if we actually take that step and forgive. Well, let's go to Christ in prayer and ask that He would do that in us. Oh Lord, this is a very, very difficult passage. I pray that You would not allow us to come away 
unchanged, I pray that You would not allow us to lose sight of this shocking grace of the Gospel, of the forgiveness that is ours because of the Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that You would enable us by Your Spirit to forgive as You have forgiven us. We pray, Lord, that even for our church in particular, that You would move us in a direction of health and healing, that Your kingdom, that Your new creation would break in in that way and show forth this peace and this reconciliation that's possible only by You. We pray, Lord, You do that. Help us in our own relationships to to do just this and confess and forgive as You call us to. We thank You that it's Your promise to do so. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of thy love.